Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, uh, a show uh, dedicated to creating conversation among those of us in the education community uh, on the education issues that are important to you and also to bring the state educational leaders uh, to you. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this afternoon. Uh, before I get started, however, I would like uh, Anne-Marie to tell you how to participate. Uh, I'd be happy to, Ray. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume of your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We'll be monitoring the chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log on the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Uh, when Chris Christie was elected governor, he promised to turn Trenton upside down. Whether you agree with the governor or not, you have to say that he held to that pledge. And he has held to that pledge in uh, education too. Most recently, the governor signed into the law, Teach NJ, a tenure reform law. But before that law was signed, uh, the New Jersey Department of Education has been working on a, reforming the way we evaluate teachers in New Jersey. These are monumental changes that change the fabric of uh, public education in New Jersey, and uh, probably, uh, I think most observers would say, it moves us in the right direction in how we deliver education to our students. The governor's point person and leader in developing his educational policy is Commissioner Christopher Cerf. Like the governor, Commissioner Cerf does not shy away from challenging the status quo. Today, I hope to have a conversation on these and other issues with the commissioner. Welcome, Commissioner Cerf. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Uh, I've seen you speak many times, and I've read your uh, many of your uh, uh, speeches also. Uh, it seems to me that the it may not be the top priority, but it is the priority, is closing the achievement gap. Why is that so important to you? Well, uh, it's a very, um, very interesting to be commissioner in New Jersey because this is a state that compared to – Virtually every other state in the country looked at, uh, in an aggregate sense, uh, has really sort of uh, extraordinarily terrific results for children, whether it's measured in reading or math, uh, on you know sort of the gold standard of, of, of measures that allow you to compare state to state. New Jersey typically rates you know number two, three, or four um, at, at, at at all grades, and um, that, by the way, is a testament to the. Uh, incredible uh, educators, uh, teachers, building administrators, uh, and superintendents who uh, work so hard every day to bring great results to kids. Uh, on the other hand, um, there are several hundred schools in this state um, where tens of thousands of children are getting uh, uh, badly underserved in terms of education. These are schools where uh, 20, 30 percent of the children are reading on grade level, where um, less than, in many cases, 50 percent uh, of the children who actually start the ninth grade are graduating, and many of those even are not graduating, having passed the HESPA, which I think we've come to understand is not a test that really evaluates preparedness for college or, or career. 
Uh, and uh, that achievement gap is especially noteworthy uh, when you compare um, children born uh, on both ends of the economic spectrum. Mm -hmm. That is, children born into poverty uh, as a general matter, obviously many marvelous exceptions, um, start the world uh, behind the eight ball educationally and never catch up. We have 25, 30 percentile point gaps between, for example, children who um, have uh, are eligible for the free lunch program and um, children who are not. That is a staggering number. And the reason that it is a centerpiece of my focus and certainly of the governor's focus um, as well is the whole idea of public education is linked to the basic idea of American democracy, which is uh, even though uh, people are born to varied circumstances, everybody should have an equal opportunity at success based on their hard work, uh, intelligence, uh, merit in one sense or another. And uh, that is uh, you know, the central purpose of public education is to be that uh, opportunity uh, creating mechanism to give everybody an opportunity to succeed. And as I've said many times, um, that you know that just is um, a great big lie uh, when it comes to the reality of educational opportunity in this state, and by the way, across the country. So it's a very fundamental uh, need that needs to be filled, and we have made it uh, central to our uh, definition of what success is, is to try to close that achievement gap and to bring these schools that are failing kids in such numbers up to a higher level. Now. Uh all your predecessors, all the commissioners uh, and, and other governors and everyone in education has been working hard to try to uh, close this achievement gap. Um, but the success has been very small and, and incremental. Uh, what are you going to try to do in the department? Uh, I know you have what you call the the RACs, so or I shouldn't use the acronym, Regional Achievement Centers. Uh, how do you plan to move forward? Well, I would say there are a couple of things that, were the, that uh, are, are sort of foundational parts uh, of the work. The first is we have to be brutally honest about this. Uh, we can't like shuffle it under the rug and, and ignore it. We have to talk about it. Uh, we, need, we need to shed uh, light on it. And frankly, I don't think we have had um, as honest a conversation about the depth of this problem uh, as we, we need to have had. The second, we need to focus all, all of our energies on the right things. Um, and, you know, there are actually strategies that work uh, in turning around failing schools, um, and I don't think we have um, implemented those um, in the same way. So, uh, not to go down a road here, but we have reorganized completely the organization, the Department of Education, around what we see as, as um, a series of strategies and priorities that will um, address um, this issue. Thirdly, we need to be courageous, um, and I don't mean just we at the Department of Education, and, in, and but I mean elected officials of all stripes. There are many, many, many interests implicated in public education. This is, after all, a $25 billion a year uh, enterprise in New Jersey and about a half a trillion dollar a year enterprise uh, across, uh, across the entire country. And it is not at all surprising that when there is that much um, at stake, that there are a lot of interests, and most of whom are completely legitimate. The interest of employees as employees, the interest of school boards in preserving and protecting their power, uh, the interest of t children, of course. And frankly, when these um, interests collide, as they sometimes do, 
Uh, do we have the political courage to always make choices in the best interest of children? And I will tell you flat out that we have shied away from that challenge uh, over the last uh, many, over the last many decades. Over and over and over again, we have yielded to other interests. And let me give you one example. Uh, as you, I'm sure, are aware, there is a law in this state that says uh, any time of an economic downturn or when a district has um, shrunk in size or, um, or the like, that it is the absolute invariable, unwaivable law uh, in this state that you cannot um, uh, uh, fire a teacher who is one day more senior um, um, than another, regardless of who is the best teacher. Put differently, you must preserve the job of an inferior teacher and let a, a superior teacher go. Now, you can defend that on a number of different grounds, um, but you can't possibly defend that on the basis of the best interest of children, and we just have not had uh, the courage to step up and address uh, that. And there, there are many, many, many examples um, th that I could enumerate for you. Yeah, you brought up one of the issues. I was going to bring that up later. Uh, what you talked referred to is uh, commonly called uh, LIFO, last in, first out. Uh, actually, New Jersey School Board Association was disappointed that was not in the tenure reform bill, but uh, that's part of the po political uh, process. Um, in closing this achievement gap, though, I'll get back. Uh, you have implemented uh, something I think it, to me is a new concept. You're really focusing on the schools, not the districts. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, for the net, if those districts who are um, priority schools, you're going to really try to be a resource to the Department of Ed as a resource to help them achieve things. Am I correct? Oh, I dropped you. Okay, we lost the commissioner for... <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we'll have a little bit of a little break here. Uh, we got disconnected from the commissioner, but when he gets back on, we'll get back to the re regional achievement centers, and then we'll talk about school funding. Hopefully he'll be back in a short time. Uh, if anyone wants to give us a question that I can uh, give to the commissioner, I, some people have already done that, and I may not have as much time as I thought to fill to ask these questions. Oh, uh, there he is. Hi, commissioner. Hi, how are you? <laughs> we got disconnected there. We, we did. I don't know what that was about, but here I am. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about the regional uh, achievement centers because sure. you are really trying something totally new. Uh, the the department's going to try to be a partner for those school districts. Um, and do you think that'll really help in the, the these two years? Um, well, let's, let me let me sort of uh, take it back one step uh, and mm -hmm. and and say this is that uh, historically. Uh, Departments of Education, including this uh, Department of Education, has treated all districts the same and has treated them um, with a sort of very heavy compliance-oriented regulatory hand. Here are the rules you have to follow, here are the reports you need to submit, uh, and so on. And in so doing, it's frankly very often sort of missed the point of this, which is to help all children graduate from high school, you know, ready for college or career, um, and, uh, and, and so on. So our basic philosophy has been there's a lot of success in this state. There are a lot of superintendents who are doing a brilliant job. There are a lot of teachers doing an extraordinary job. There are many schools that are doing 
a great job as measured by outcomes for kids. Um, and we would like uh, to effectively get out of their way uh, to as large a degree as possible through deregulation um, and the like, while at the same time building tools and providing resources that those schools can use to get even better. Um, at the same time, uh, with regard to those um, relatively small percentage but material number of schools that are not demonstrating uh, success, um, we want to focus all of our energies and many of our resources towards fixing those. The vehicle for doing that, as you um, mentioned, are something we call regional achievement centers. So we have built six of these across the state. We've hired some of the best educators in the state and in the country to lead them. We've given them teams. We've moved many people out of the ivory tower of uh, Trenton into the field. And we have, we have said uh, that their assignment is to focus uh, around the execution of what are known as the turnaround principles. And these are sort of common sense principles that when implemented in a uh, failing school actually bring about a turnaround. And some of them are very um, aggressive. You know, is there a, the right leader in the school? You'll never get a great school if you have a leader who is not um, uh, in a position to bring about success. Um, is teaching happening in a, at an effective level? Are high expectations being set? Is there a climate of uh, and a culture of achievement and high expectations. These are all um, abstract sounding principles, but behind each of them are very specific strategies and uh, that will be executed um, one step at a time in these failing schools. And again, the RACs are going to, the regional achievement centers, are going to, um, to lead that process. Um, we are gonna take a very close look year on year um, to see what kind of progress these and all schools um, are making. You know, I, do I think that all of these schools are going to be, uh, if you will, fixed within two years? No, that's not realistic. But I absolutely do expect us to see a, an inflection point in these schools where these schools are showing significant gains and, uh, and improvement. So this is a different philosophy. I mean, because uh, I've even heard you say that the state has not been very uh – Successful in the takeover as a takeover running districts, and that's so. This is a kind of a new model that will is more of a partnership, I guess, with the school leaders. It, it, it is so. Sort of two points in that. One is historically the state's response to failure has been to focus on districts as opposed to schools, and you know, in a number of uh, circumstances, actually a very limited number of circumstances, Patterson to a degree, Jersey City, uh, Newark. The state has uh, taken over the districts. They're, they're actually given their own name. They're called state-operated um, school districts. And I don't think any objective observer could look at the history of, um, the, the, of, of educational progress in these jurisdictions and be particularly excited uh, by the outcomes. Um, in many cases, they are, in fact, a lot better than they were if you go back and read the original documents at the time of their respective takeovers, but they certainly have not achieved the ultimate goal here of, uh, of closing, the, closing the achievement gap. So our focus is less on the sort of district level and more on the individual school level. We think that is um, the, the, the real opportunity for change, and that's where these um, regional achievement centers are going to focus their attention. Um, well, well, earlier in the year, uh, you uh, switching gears, uh, you put out an education funding report, uh, tweaking the, the school funding formula. Um, what were some of the highlights? I mean, you changed the way we measure enrollment. 
uh, you changed some of the the other factors. Uh, what was your rationale behind some of those changes? Well, so what, I think it's important to come at that question by providing um, uh, listeners with a little with a little bit of, of context. Is um, New Jersey is uh, an extraordinarily generous uh, in terms of the, the the public dollars it invests in K through 12. Uh, public public education. Um, you, our average um, expenditure all in uh, from all sources, local, state, and federal, is you know in the zone of eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars per pupil per year. And if you look at um, districts that historically have been struggling with uh, poverty, um, often termed the former Abbott districts, you'll see that that number is even is even higher. It's uh, over twenty thousand dollars, twenty two thousand dollars. Per pupil per year. Now, just to size that a little bit, the average per pupil expenditure across the country is much more uh, in the neighborhood of twelve to thirteen thousand dollars uh, per year. Um, so, New Jersey is you know, one of the most generous states in uh, the nation in terms of its investment in public education. And I would also add that the budget that we are now uh, in the process of implementing, that is, the, 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 this year's budget, the governor's budget, mm-hmm. as, as, um, as uh, uh, approved by the legislature, is the single most generous investment in public education in 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 this state's in this state's history. I say all of that to make a larger point, which is that nobody would argue that money doesn't matter. Money absolutely does matter, and I think we should be proud at the level of generosity. That this state uh, bestows on its um, on its public schools. At the same time, um, we also know that it matters not only how uh, much you spend, but how well you spend it. And there, I would suggest we have a lot of work to do. A great deal of these resources uh, are not getting the greatest, if you will, return on investment. You go to um, many districts, and you'll see. Uh, budgets that have not targeted their resources um, effectively towards advancing student achievement. So the funding report that we um, uh, that, that you're asking about essentially is centered around that point. It is we can't simply measure adequacy or you know how good is good enough, whether in constitutional terms or in moral terms, by how many zeros are in the funding formula. We have to make sure that those resources are invested in um, in work that really makes a difference for children. And a lot of what we're doing is trying to identify those practices and make sure they're adequately funded. Other things that the report suggested is um, that uh, there were certain legislative compromises that happened when the existing funding formula was created um, back in Gee, it was 2009, uh, right. I believe. The, the SFRA mm-hmm. uh, is the statute, and those uh, you know, compromises may have made sense as a way to get the bill through the process, but they really uh, make less and less sense today. One of those is something called um, adjustment aid, which was basically a whole harmless uh, provision that said, under the brand new formula, everybody gets as uh, everybody gets the higher of what the formula would kick out or what you were getting before, regardless of whether or not the district is being funded above a constitutional definition of adequacy. So we think, and that's about a half a billion dollars a year that's distributed, Mm -hmm. and we are looking for a way to sort of ratchet that down and redeploy those same dollars 
where there is the where there is the greatest need. There were other changes as well, but that's uh, that's the heart of it. Um, in that school funding, uh, the districts being held, I guess, held harmless. They were. Is that where you you talk about political courage to make those decisions? Uh, uh, sure. I mean, there. I mean, listen, this calls for enormous political courage. When the budget numbers go out uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you that rational conversation generally stops, and all conversation turns around to what was the line in my particular town or, or, or district, and what, is that, what does that mean for me, and all the larger policy questions around, you know, are we doing this rationally, are we doing this fairly, uh, go out the window, and it becomes a very sort of narrow and often parochial uh, conversation. So I would hope um, that we collectively have the courage to take a fresh look at the funding formula as a whole and ask ourselves, um, are we, it's, again, it's not so much a question of how much. I don't, I've never heard anybody, starting with a governor, say that we ought to be investing less money in public schools in this state and certainly not less money in, in pre-K uh, uh, education. Uh, but it, it's how we distribute it. Is it, is it effectively and fairly uh, deployed? to maximize the, the um, achievement results we're, we're, we're trying to get. And to have that conversation in the context of these individual, highly local needs and issues requires real political, real political courage. I, I'll give you one example. Um, um, I, we give money out um, in, a, in a purely formulaic way. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the formula, by the way, is Byzantine, but we give that formula pursuant to a formula. I love the idea, and my report recommended that we reserve a sliver of funds. Um, and by the way, out of $7.3 billion, maybe $50 million, $75 million, and put it into an innovation fund where we actually distribute funds to districts on the basis of uh, uh, an, uh, an ambition to replicate ideas that are really working to expand ideas that are really working, uh, to incent success uh, through part of these dollars, to foster innovation and change rather than just dump it out into the stream of commerce, if you will, and not really track how it's spent. So, um, yes, I do think that it will cause, cause for, it will call for real courage. Uh, and by the way, encouraged by, I know Senator Ruiz is uh, in her committee, uh, is, is starting to explore ideas uh, of, of this nature, um, and particularly around the issue of longer day and longer year, and how that might be funded by right. certain pilots in, in in the state. So I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very uh, impressed by um, the line of thinking that she is uh, fostering in her in her committee uh, around. Wow, let's take our money and target it towards things we know work. Longer day and longer year work. So let's try to um, invest in that. You know the. While you did have that education funding report, and you did use those numbers when you did your school aid, the legislature did not actually use that language in the budget. Is that something that's going to have to be discussed more? Are you going to continue down your philosophy? Or you indicated if you could, you might even look at the entire formula. So is that a battle? that you, Not a battle. That's a bad term. Is that a discussion that's going to have to occur, uh, I guess, in January, February with the legislature? Well, I'm sure it will, and obviously the governor will lead will lead the discussion about uh, about the budget, and I will be sort of, I, and I will be, um, you know, offering my point of view to him, and and certainly to the legislature if they're interested in it. But let's let's look backwards at what happened. So it was actually uh, a, a little bit of uh, 
of sleight of hand what happened is we submitted through the budget language that embodied a number of different changes in the formula, including this um, uh, reduction in adjustment aid and redeploying those dollars elsewhere, a, a very modest amendment to what are called the fact the, the um, at-risk weights, um, uh, actually a substantial increase in the foundation amount and in the amount going to special ed kids. There were a number of different changes that we recommended making. Uh, every single one of those was, in fact, implemented um, in the budget that the legislature adopted. Mm -hmm. So what they did was adopt the numbers that were derived on the basis of our recommendations, but then declined to adopt the actual words uh, that yielded those numbers. So as I said, there was a little bit of sleight of hand, but the net of that is that the um, budget uh, is that, you know, every year we're going to continue to have I'm, what I'm sure will be a lively conversation between the um, education community, uh, the legislative branch, and the executive branch around the budget, because every year is basically a fresh start until we get uh, all of this enshrined in statutory language. Um, uh, a board member sent me a question uh, dealing with school funding, and uh, and it's a tough one. And you mentioned Senator uh, Ruiz, and she actually had a, a committee hearing on special education. Is there? A, that's one of the, those areas where the school boards, no matter what demographic they represent, has a hard time grappling around the cost of special ed. Mm -hmm. Is there any help that they can get in that area or any advice? Well, I, I, by the way, I was in a school this morning in, in Seagirt. A very Im, impressive uh, uh, body of work is being done, particularly in the realm of uh, not just special education, but more particularly around addressing uh, reading disabilities and reading and reading challenges. So I, I do want to applaud them directly, but also want to acknowledge the very good work that is being done for uh, lots of children with uh, with special needs uh, across. This, the, across the state, but I want to uh, um, but also tell you that uh, taking a fresh and hard look at special education is uh, probably um, among the most electric of the third rails uh, in <laughs> in public education. There are not surprisingly and entirely appropriately. Um, very strong points of view, um, and there are um, advocacy groups and interest groups and and parents who understandably are extremely passionate uh, about it. And the net of it is that it's very hard to really examine our existing practices, our existing funding, in a sort of dispassionate uh, dispassionate way. Um, and the uh, as, as a result of that, um, although I'm I would say generally impressed with the quality of special education in this in this state. Uh, at the same time, I really am sincerely committed to the view that we could do uh, considerably better. But trying to change that implicates a very complicated uh, dynamic. So the the uh, did you say a board member or a superintendent who who rose in? I know that superintendents in private will tell you that the system is substantially broken in many respects, that they're in a kind of can't-win conversation, um, that the obligations that um, to uh, appropriately serve kids with special needs um, literally and by, almost, I think, by operation of law does not take cost into account. Mm -hmm. uh, an IEPE, uh, an Individualized Education Plan, which is the document that sets out the uh, the, the plan for serving a, a child with needs, 
um, is not uh, uh, sets out services and needs, and it doesn't have um, literally any reference to co to cost, and it can't, and it's a contract that must be enforced. So superintendents correctly observe that the the dollars that are appropriated for special education are almost invariably inadequate to meet the cost demands of the special education services they provide, and so that comes out of general general education dollars and and uh, other sources. So that's um, that is a dilemma um, that it, that superintendents face. They also believe, by the way, that when you get into the litigation or arbitration around any of this, mm -hmm. um, the burden of proof is such that the deck is um, stacked against uh, them getting a, a full and open hearing. So these are significant uh, problems um, or significant challenges that um, I think that we um, ought to, as a state, you know, in a very calm, dispassionate way, look at to see if we can make some changes. I, I opened a program talking about the tenure, <coughs> excuse me, the tenure reform bill uh, in a way, the changing way that we're evaluating teachers. Uh, I know from some of my conversations with people in the pilot districts, they've been pretty optimistic about some the way. Uh, we we're cha making these change, incorporating these changes. Um, are you excited about the way we cha cha are changing the way that we're evaluating teachers, and what do you see as the the, the best benefit to this? Well, I, I am very excited by it, and really proud of our of our state. I'm proud of teachers. Uh, I'm I'm proud of uh, uh, educators at all levels. I'm even proud proud, by the way, of some of the uh, associations and interest groups who have, um, you know, maybe with a little bit of reluctance here and there, are engaged in a serious collaborative conversation about how to ease our way into this new world in a responsible, appropriate way. Um, so the, the basic net of it is is this. Everybody, um, anybody who will talk about it honestly, will tell you that our current evaluation system for teachers and principals is badly broken to the point of dysfunctional. Sure, you can find examples to the contrary, but in the main, it is a system that is not serving anyone uh, particularly well. Um, often it's based on a binary, either satisfactory or unsatisfactory rating system. Often it, uh, you know, often you'll find, you know, 97, 98% of the educators in a community rated as satisfactory. Um, rarely is there meaningful professional development linked to deficits or needs that are identified uh, through the evaluation system. So everyone agrees that it's, that it's broken. Um, and also, uh, everybody agrees that creating a better and responsible system is really, really hard. Um, that it requires um, uh, taking chances, it requires you know using data in, in new and different ways, it requires um, and the, and the inevitable outcome of that is that any accountability system, and this is what's true all across the country, that is created is going to be imperfect. And there are really two ways to think about that. One is to say, well, until we can create the perfect accountability system, let's stick with what we have. Or the other way, which is my way of seeing it, is, listen, let's realize how hard this is. Let's work on it together. And let's not leap to anything, but let's agree that better is our goal here and perfect is going to be elusive for, uh, for a stretch of time. So what we have done in this state is we have um, um, worked very collaboratively with, uh, interest, with uh, associations, with, with communities. We've created pilots. We've funded pilots. 
and we are investing very heavily as a state in the design phase of an effective evaluation system and not even rolling it out until next year uh, across the state to try to get as many kinks out of it as possible along the way. There's some, I'm going to say, 30 to 40 districts uh, around the mm -hmm. state now that are part of this pilot, and it's a, essentially a consequence of rezone. We're not saying that we have this right enough to say there should be state-imposed personnel consequences. Coming out of the system, we're saying, let's figure it out. What do we do with hard issues like untested grades and un untested subjects? What's the appropriate weight to put on student outcomes as, a, as opposed to observations of instructional practices? These are all hard questions that we are uh, working very hard together to try to get right. I've had conversations with people in the pilot districts, and they are optimistic that they feel they're moving in the right direction. The one issue that does come up, and might, might even come up for the Department of Ed, is the capacity. It's a, there's mm -hmm. a little bit more work involved in doing this. Is that a concern of yours both for the local districts as well as for your own department? Well, it's a very legitimate, a very legitimate concern. Um, but this goes back to an earlier conversation, and that is where should we be – investing our uh, generous but limited resources to do the most good for children. We all kind of agree and understand that the most important thing in a child's educational life is the uh, quality and effectiveness of the teacher in his or her classroom. And so if that is the case, why don't we act on that by saying, well, in that case, let's make sure we've invested an appropriate slice of the pie on the costs of an evaluation system, the costs of uh, responsible evaluators uh, whose uh, observations have been uh, validated for, for reliability. So yes, there are costs associated with that, but there are costs very much worth incurring. And I would ask districts to first and foremost prioritize this work mm -hmm. and to see whether funds can be redeployed from other uh, sources that are not um, achieving the same uh, bang for the buck, if you will. That said, the state itself is investing a lot of its dollars um, in, in this. We are investing very heavily, very heavily in, uh, the in the kind of information that districts will need to be able to support their analyses. Uh, we're investing very heavily in uh, a, a great deal of the cost of this will actually be borne by the state. Um two things uh, on tenure reform. First of all, I heard one of the superintendents speak on this, and he said, yeah, there's tenure reform, and there are some teachers we need to get rid of, but the Tenure Reform Act, in conjunction with the teacher evaluation model, is really, the goal should be really focused on moving all the teachers, the majority of teachers who are good or very good, up to the great uh, model. And then the second part of that question, you can just comment on that one, but the second part is, is the evaluation model changing for everyone? not just uh, teachers, but for principals and uh, other administrators and uh, other staff members. So I completely agree with the superintendent. The whole point of this is um, to uh, improve instruction and help teachers move from, you know, average to good uh, to great. And so that's a very wise comment by that, that, super, uh, by that superintendent. Uh, there is a real tendency in the public eye and for those who uh, are frankly looking for conflict more than re resolution to view this as a kind of gotcha system where this is all about, quote, exiting bad teachers or um, uh, or sort of finding uh, folks and sort of targeting them for personnel action. That is absolutely not the case. I will assure you with all the confidence I can muster, 
we will do much, much more for the children of the state to help um, average teachers become good to great than to exit, um, you know, teachers at the very far end of the uh, of the bell curve. So the whole point of this system is to allow for the development of targeted uh, development um, interventions and support for all teachers on the continuum. At the same time, I certainly don't want to shy away from um, uh, the reality that in this profession, as in any profession, um, there is going to be a very thin slice of uh, individuals who are not getting the job done. And we need to be honest about that. We shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Why should, you know, this is a craft. This is incredibly hard work. Uh, you know, I, I, I can tell you that it is a craft um, no more and a profession um, no less than being an architect or being a lawyer or being a, being a doctor or being an engineer. And in every profession you can imagine, um, we acknowledge that there's a distribution of, of talent and a distribution of effectiveness. Um, you know, people are not interchangeable parts here. Teachers are different. Um, some have some strength and lack others uh, and vice versa. So to have a system as we've had up until um, very recently that frankly fails to differentiate um, is a, it's, it, it's a real failure um, of best serving the interests of kids. So that's what we're trying to do. It's not a gotcha game. It is how do we make everybody better and how do we deal with a very, very small minority of individuals who simply are, are not effectively serving kids. We've got to be honest about that. Okay, and it, this, this, you're, you're also changing the way we evaluate principals, administrators, and everyone. It's not just teachers that are uh, indeed, through. indeed, we are as we speak launching a evaluation system for principals, also in a pilot phase. So that is that is absolutely true. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit again. Um, you've been criticized by uh, uh, some of your critics, I guess, uh, that you, you're tied to some foundations that you take uh, that were using funds from. Uh, outside foundations that help with the reform effort. Uh, why do you think it's beneficial uh, to do this? Well, first of all, let, let me just say that, you know, the, these are uh, absolutely laughable um, uh, uh, su suggestions. I, I have to say that whenever I read one of these things, I go, well, I mean, I, I really am actually kind of stunned at the naivete and, you know, this tendency towards, I guess what you could only call conspiracy theories, that there's some sort of corporate kingpins out there that are sort of lurking in some dark corner that are attempting to, quote, privatize public schools. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just ludicrous to anybody who who, uh, who knows the facts. Look, I am all about um, improving public education. That is my life. That is my career. That is my, that is my uh, commitment. To do that, um, it is appropriate to, uh, first of all, not be locked into a single way of looking at the world. Uh, uh, and that is, let's keep doing what we've been doing all along and just hope that it gets better. We have to be open to innovations that come from all sectors, public sector, from universities, from the private sector. So I, I am absolutely open to um, uh, the ability. And by the way, that is true of almost every major sector that's successful uh, in this country. It is a combination of public and as well as academic and other resources. Um, so, and secondly, um, I am trying very hard to raise money for the state. We have raised about $100 million, uh, maybe a little bit more, through various grant applications, race to the top uh, application. We got some additional funds 
to help build out our, our, our data systems. We got some additional funds to help support districts in building out their teacher effectiveness system. And in a very modest way, I'm also seeking philanthropic support from, uh, from foundations, and we have had some modest success in that regard as well. And I think that's what has uh, gotten some of these um, conspiracy theorists uh, um, exercised. Um, but if you think about it, uh, there has been a long and extraordinarily generous history of private foundations supporting public education, the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, in this state, the Schumann Fund, Prudential, Victoria Fund. Um, there's a, uh, and that is something I think we should embrace as a, um, as a uh, goal uh, so, uh, again, I view that whole discussion as, as something I'm actually not going to stoop to engage in in any kind of serious way, because anyone who sort of sees the world through that lens is probably not open to a real discussion of the facts. Um, recently, um, uh, the Education Transformation Task Force put out a report which uh, wants to change uh, numerous Codes and regulations, and as well as some statutory recommendations, about 46. Uh, is that something that the department will be working on? Do you have a priority list? I mean, it's a lot of work, but yeah. it seems to be something that you would feel is worthwhile. Uh, it absolutely is. Um, so I, I made a commitment to the superintendents of this state that we were going to move as quickly as we can from a um, Frankly, a compliance and regulatory-oriented uh, uh, organization to one that that supports them in crafting their own path to finding academic success for their kids. It's like turning a battleship. Uh, we had 14 lawyers and uh, hundreds of educators across the state reviewing 4,000 pages of regulations and statutes, all of which. Uh, are, uh, are well intended, but many of which have absolutely nothing to do with the core mission of advancing student learning, and many of which steal the greatest asset that educators have, which is their time, their time to plan, their time to reflect, their time to innovate. Um, and um, so we, uh, what emerged from that was a comprehensive report recommending literally hundreds of uh, changes that would uh, end the requirement that reports be submitted, that would deregulate in, in important ways, uh, and that would expand the options available to school leaders and superintendents and teachers and how they pursue their craft, all, by the way, within the, uh, under the umbrella of accountability for results. And that's the basic trade here, empowerment and autonomy in exchange for greater accountability for student, for, for student outcomes. We are now in the process of executing on that pledge. We have the recommendations. Already we are working with our terrific State Board of Education to evaluate these recommendations and to actually promulgate um, changes through the code that will make these a reality. I'm also looking forward to a uh, very collaborative discussion with our legislative partners because an awful lot of this regulation actually is enshrined in code. That is rather in statute. And as much as I would like to change it, that will be that would require the act of the um, uh, uh, elected bodies uh, in this state to change. But uh, for our audience, just one clarifying point: uh, the ones that are in code, uh, you will be working on. You don't need the legislative approval on those. Uh, correct. We do that. Some of them are commissioner's regulations. Many of them, probably most of them, uh, requires an act of the state board of education, but they do not require. Uh, a, a legislative act, um, but there are many, many of these restrictions 
or uh, regulations that uh, have their origin in um, an act of uh, a, 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 an act of the legislature, and I, of course, am constitutionally bound to follow the law. But I'm hoping that the legislature will embrace this focus on empowerment and autonomy and deregulation and uh, take a hard look at the statute book and see whether some relief can be generated from that end as well. Okay. Uh, that brings us to an end of uh, this program. Uh, Commissioner Surf, I'd like to thank you for joining me. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much. And I will say that uh, I look forward, and on behalf of our members, we look forward to seeing you at our workshop in October, later, uh, about a month from now. Uh, and then it, they can listen to you again. And so if I didn't ask the question, maybe they'll get to ask you that question then. Thank you so much. Take care now. Okay, thank you. Bye. 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 That brings us to the end of this episode of Conversation on New Jersey Education. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Commissioner Surf. And like I said, he will be at our workshop uh, on uh, Tuesday, the 23rd of October. And thank you.